So good morning, listeners, and welcome to Sacred, Sacred Space, 102FM, a Come and See Inspirations production. Being produced in our Come and See studio here in Ada, and this the 28th of June. It's the 13th Sunday in Ordinary Time. My name is John Keeley. Thank you again for joining me this morning. And I'm here to produce the programme this morning, to present the programme. Shane Ambrose. Good morning, Shane. Good morning, John. How are we keeping? Good, thanks. Good. And also, uh, welcome into the studio this morning, uh, Father Frank Dewick, who'll be joining us in part two to chat to us about um, what's going to happen in terms of coming back to Mass, maybe in a general sense. Good morning, Father Frank. Good morning, John. Good to see you. Morning, Shane. Thanks. Good morning, Father Frank. Thanks again, Father Frank, for, for sharing with us. So, our programme, of course, as people would know at this stage, is broadcast in Sacred Space at West Limit 102 at 10am and 11pm each Sunday. I'll come back to that in a second. And it's available for playback and download and come and see inspirations at buzzprep.com. That's a podcasting st- uh, site that we have. Uh, all of our programs go up on this particular site and people can hear back. Uh, programs just going back over the years. So that's come and see inspirations at buzzprep.com is one of them. Or sacred space, 102.blogspot.com is another one. Or Spotify or iTunes, all these little sites that are happening around the place. Basically, if you really just Google Come and See Inspirations, you'll get us there. And you can tap into any of the programs that we've done more recently and going back 10, 11 years. Now, just to explain again to listeners again, just remind listeners, the 10 a.m. session, the 10 a.m. mass, um, no, sorry, the 10 a.m. slot that we have each Sunday morning here in sacred space. These days... Um, we're not playing a normal programme, as people would know, but we are broadcasting Mass from Abbeyfield Parish, and we thank Father Tony Mullins and the parishioners of Abbeyfield Parish for facilitating that, and also for Sacred Space, especially Jason Smith, for helping us out in connecting with Abbeyfield Parish each Sunday morning. Uh, just after that, then, a little reflection after that, we have time for... But this this programme, that a normal Sacred Space programme, will continue to be broadcast at 11pm on Sunday night. Uh, just a little notice just to bring to people's attention again. That 10 a.m. Mass that I just spoke about there, in, um, of course, really it's up in the air these days as to how things are going. I'm not going to take away what Father Frank's going to share with us in part two. But just to advise listeners that we have the facility, and thanks to Father, Father uh, Tony Mullins again, we have the facility of being able to continue to link in with Mass from Abbey Field for the month of July. But that facility is there. We'll see how it goes. Um, just... To remind listeners again, our Come and See Inspirations programme continues at Monday to Friday, uh, just after the 1pm p- news here in West Limit 102, where we pray the roles of your father Kevin Scanlon and Dana. And we also play back some snippets from <coughs> Sacred Space Archive. Thursday and Friday, you try to include some inspirational music. It could be favourite hymns, it could be gospel music, worship music. Why not text a request to 087? Six zero eight eight six six seven. That's O eight seven six zero eight eight six six seven. Of course, if you want to contact us at all here on Sacred Space, you could do that. But again, texting us O eight seven six zero eight eight six six seven or email sacredspace one or two at gmail dot com. Now, Shane, you've got some interesting signs for us this week somewhere. Um, it's not too bad this week, John. Um, so obviously we're just transferring over because we're, we're next week is the end of the month of June and start of July. Where has it gone? Hard to believe we're at the end of June already. And of course, the end of the month for the Sacred Heart. So this week we're celebrating the 13th week in ordinary time, as John said at the top of the program. So today is the 13th Sunday. For those of us praying the Psalter, we're on week one. 
So obviously tomorrow, the 29th of June, Liberation Day for many people, given the way things are going with the uh, the COVID restrictions, slightly. I think we'll all agree with that one. Uh, but anyway, from a liturgical perspective, tomorrow, of course, is the feast day of, sorry, it's the solemnity of St. Peter and St. Paul. So it's the day that was by tradition in the ancient world was the foundation of the city of Rome. And so to mark its foundation as a Christian city, it's dedicated to the great patrons of the city, that is St. Peter and St. Paul. Now, by tradition, of course, St. Peter's Basilica is, of course, built over the place where St. Peter is buried. Uh, By tradition, as St. Paul's outside the wall is built over where St. Paul is buried. And there's archaeological evidence for both of those to um, support that tradition, which goes back to the most ancient days of the church. Uh, in addition to that, of course, people may not realize the actually that the Pope is the Pope because he's the Bishop of Rome. But the Bishop's Cathedral in Rome, where his cathedra is, the seat of where he is as Bishop, is actually in the Basilica of St. John Lateran. And by tradition, the relics of St. Peter and St. Paul in St. John's Lateran are supposed to be the gentleman's skulls. Now, I haven't been able to get that officially confirmed, but I was looking around, but that by tradition is what happens. So anyway, Monday is the feast day of St. Peter and St. Paul. So you might say a quick prayer for His Holiness the Pope. Uh, as he follows in the steps of those two great saints. Then on Tuesday, by tradition, it's followed by the celebration of the feast of the first martyrs of Rome, uh, who died under the persecution of Nero in the year 64 AD. Wednesday, then, of course, is the 1st of July. 1st of July on the Irish liturgical calendar is the feast day of St. Oliver Plunkett. Oliver Plunkett, Archbishop of Maramah, was, was martyred, executed at Tyburn for the sin of being a Catholic and being a priest and a bishop. Uh, so with a noble family, Irish nobility, who supported Charles I. He was educated in Rome and stayed on then uh, to serve as a professor of theology at Propaganda Fide. And he was also the, um, he was involved with the Irish College in Rome. He was appointed Archbishop of Armagh in 1669 and set about reforming the diocese up there and education of clergy, the laity, reform that was needed, and so on. And he was arrested in 1679 of, of conspiring, charge of conspiring against the state. And he was taken to London. He was imprisoned in Newgate. And he was, he was after his first trial, he was acquitted. But then at the second trial, he, he was um condemned to the gruesome death of being hung, drawn and quartered. He was executed at Tyburn in uh, 1681. Uh, of course, interesting thing about Oliver Plunkett, of course, is the fact that in Drogheda, in the Church of St. Paul, St. Peter's rather, uh, in Drogheda, of course, we have the relic of his head. And his body, uh, I'm not actually sure where his body's at the moment. Oh, it's in Downside Abbey in Somerset in England. Um, so, and of course, the interesting thing about Oliver Plunkett, he was the first of the Irish martyrs to be canonized in 1975, and he was the first officially canonized saint of the Irish church, I think, since around the time of St. Lawrence O'Toole. So, um, and if anyone has listened to podcasts, there's a great podcast about Oliver Plunkett on the uh, Irish History Podcast, if people are into those. Then on Thursday, the 2nd of uh, July, we have the feast day of St. Switten. Now, this one confused me, I'll be honest, because there's actually two feast days for St. Switten. You have the feast day when he died on the 2nd of July, and you have the other one on the 15th of July. And why it's confusing, of course, is because you have that old that old great tradition of the um, St. Switten's day, if it does rain for 40 days, it will remain forever. That whole, you know, 
thing that goes with it. And actually, if the day that you want to watch the weather is actually the 15th, because it, the tradition sprung up about he was a great saint associated with the Saxons in England. Miracles were associated with his relics. And then in 10, uh, 1006, the abbot tried to move his relics in from to a great shrine and it seems the, shri- the saint didn't approve and hence he caused it to rain for 40 days that's the whole thing behind saint swithin's day which we celebrate on the 15th of july but his feast day the day of his death is the 2nd of july finally then thursday is the 3rd of july it's the feast day of saint thomas the apostle very much of course associated with the spread of christianity in india and to this day, the Christians of India are sometimes referred to as Thomas Christians. So for those of our listeners who are in the, Sire, the Syro-Malabar tradition, like uh, the two uh, clergy that are assisting in Abbey Field, we wish them um, a happy feast day. And of course, because it's the third, it's the the third of July. It's the first Friday of the month for those that are maintaining their first Friday devotions. Then on Saturday, it's the fourth of July. It's the feast day of Saint Elizabeth, Saint Elizabeth of Portugal, uh, of Royal of the Royal House of Aragon. Unhappy marriage with the King of Portugal. Her husband died, but she lived on then. Um, and she persevered in prayer and good works, and she's the patron saint of those in unhappy marriages. It also happens to be the feast day of Blessed Pierre Giorgio Frassetti, a delayed Dominican saint, a young guy, very well known in Turin in Italy, came from an extremely wealthy family who didn't realize the good he was doing among the poor of the city, and he died at the age of 24 from polio. And the interesting thing about it is he, is, he was beatified by, I think it's Benedict XVI, and he was all oh, sorry, he's better by John Paul II, but he was um, a patron saint of the World Youth Days. And so he's an interesting guy. He's 24 when he died, and he's known as the man of the eight Beatitudes. So if you're interested, that's his name is Pierre Giorgio Frassetti. He was a late Dominican. It's an interesting, an interesting case. And he died in 1901. Sorry, he died in 1925. Um, and of course, as as Friday is the first Friday, Saturday is the first Saturday for those that are maintaining the devotions. Also, John, as it is the start of the month, we have just to remind people for the Pope's intentions for the month of July. And the Pope's intention this month is we pray that today's families may be accompanied with love, respect and guidance. So that's what we have, John, in terms of liturgical odds and ends for this week. Thanks for that, Sharon. Well, isn't that a nice little message, a nice little um, intention for the month of July there? Something that people can, can, can maybe reflect a little bit more on. OK, before we go for our first bit of music, there's a spirit of communion prayer that we always pray here on the programme, especially for those of our listeners who, when we could get to Mass, couldn't get to Mass and couldn't receive Jesus in, in Holy Communion. Of course, the best way to receive Christ is in Holy Communion than Mass. Yet for those times you can't get Mass, you can still reach out to him by making a spirit of communion in prayer. And this is the prayer we pray. My Jesus, I desire to receive you into my soul, since I cannot now receive you sacramentally. Come spiritually into my soul. I embrace you as already there. I unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Now we go for our first bit of music this morning. It's one by my good friends the Maranatha Singers, and this one is entitled... Jesus, what a wonder you are. So come back and join us in part two, where Father Frank will stay with us and share a reflection on the returning to Mass. Join us then. i 
So welcome back again to the second part of Sacred Space. My name is John Keeley, still joined by Shane Ambrose on the other end of the Skype line. And Father Frank, do again, uh, joins us here in the studio. Good morning again, Fra- Father Frank, and thanks again for, for, for coming with us. You're welcome. Okay, obviously for the last number of months, um, we, we can't get to Mass, we can't get inside a church until recently, and that's in only a limited way. Lots of people, I suppose, have thoughts in their mind about when we can return to Mass and so on and so forth. And I'm sure there's an awful lot of preparations and considerations that have to take place before that happens. Would you like to share any thoughts yourself and maybe the preparations and concerns? And Yeah, well, I, we, we take our direction from the Irish Bishops' Conference, you know, the, um, the, the full Irish hierarchy. They met in June, there in the first week of June. And they issued a framework document and then they went back to each diocese and the diocese made it available to us then in the parishes um, for preparation. We're only like the rest of society, shops and all kinds of Mm. places, Mm -hmm. trying to adjust to the new restrictions and to try and be ready for some form of of opening. And as most people know by now, um, churches are free to open uh, from next Monday, um, provided they have they are ready to open there's no pressure on them from the bishops to open the f- most important thing is that they have to meet a lot of requirements the same as everybody has we're not we're not the only ones everybody is meeting this and um so that's what's been going on you know rather feverishly in dioceses in paris over the over the past few weeks and this document you know outlines the kind of thing and parishes are probably at various stages of meeting this, but uh, there, there is a checklist that will have to be signed by uh, a priest and two parishioners, 
uh, to parish representatives uh, to go back to the bishop before we are clear to uh, open to meet all these requirements. And one of the things we we have to do is um, we obviously have to keep all the restrictions, same as everybody has. Mm-hmm. And um, but I and we we are meticulously preparing for keeping the regulations laid down. But we we like to think of it that. Our first concern, and of course it's the first concern also of the restrictions, yes. mm-hmm. is to look after the people that come and throw, do our best to, to keep them safe insofar as is possible. So there our concern. We're not just doing this because there's a whole lot of rules laid down for us. Mm-hmm. We're doing it because we want anybody that comes to Mass, when the churches do open, we want to do our very best to have it safe for them. And that's, as I say, that's what the restrictions are about as well. So one of the things that parishes have to do first is, uh, you know, uh, es- establish what they call a COVID-19 support team of parishioners. Usually some people, maybe from the pastoral council, it varies from one parish to another. But you have to set up a group of people to organise preparations and to oversee their implementation and so forth. Then you have to get a lot of volunteers for various jobs, like, you know, um, showing people to their places, especially in the first few weeks, to let them know all the seats um, there'll be markings on all the seats where people can sit and the ones that are blocked off we blocked off to observe the social distancing so we'll need volunteers for that and for lots of other things as well um, there'll be training we've been put on by the diocese and some of the training will be done locally at, at parish level because obviously the work of stewards at a mass can vary an awful lot from one parish to another depending on the layout of the church so a lot of that has to be done at a local level. But the diocese has been training people, uh, some people, what they call the coordinators. And um, so that's that's going ahead. Uh, I've already hinted at signage, uh, appropriate supply of signage uh, um, on the seats so that people are quietly where they, where they can sit. And um, then, of course, the whole question of uh, sanitation. And... Um, and at all times being alert to any new directive that comes from the HSE and adjusting accordingly. That's the general thing now. And um, and the checklist then, we said, that has to, to go back to the diocese before we, we can open, um, that have we considered the most up-to-date advice on physical distancing and what is the number of people we can accommodate and so forth in, in the church. How will this be managed? We have to go through all that, and parishes have been doing that, and lot of parishes have had a number of meetings how will it be communicated to the people various ways from West Limerick Radio, Observer uh, social media every any way, word of mouth every kind of way we can you know um, you have to clearly indicate so that people come in they don't get confused uh, clearly where people can sit and so forth and block off the areas where they cannot sit um, it will be asked how we the stewards uh, got for volunteers to assist people entering and leaving the church and so forth um, the, the marking uh, particularly when pe- people are approaching Holy Communion I think most parishes at this point I think anyway um, would not feel they have to put tape down every two metres on the floor people are so used to this and you, you don't want to insult people uh, people of course know they know better than any of us they're used to it all over the place so but uh, you know probably just before they would receive communion there would be sort of the other two meters back but the priest the idea would be that the priest would remind them when it comes to communion time that they um, observe the two meters distance as they come as they approach the priest or the Eucharistic minister 
Now, the arrangements of giving out communion is that the priest or the Eucharistic minister, whoever is distributing Holy Communion, must wear a mask, a face mask, for that part of the ceremony. Communion must be on the hand, and we'll be, we've been told, and we'll be passing this on to our Eucharistic ministers, to, insofar as at all possible to avoid touching the hand of the person as you place the host. If you do, you're meant to stop and sanitize your hands again. You've already done it before mm-hmm. you started, and then so... Great care they have been taken with, with, to follow the HSE um, guidelines um, it, to make sure we have accommodation for people with disabilities, uh, a place in the church where we can look after them. Um, as reminding people of the physical distancing. Um, uh, now, the document says in relation to hygiene that while each person has individual responsibility for following advice and hygiene, and people, of course, listen to that every day, mm. the church environment should itself be as safe as any enclosed public space. And so there's a checklist for that. Have all holy water fonts be, been emptied? Uh, Father, Father Frank, can I just ask you uh, just a question there? Um, just when you, you were talking about the churches have to be like all enclosed spaces and safe for people as well. Have the bishops said anything about the wearing of face masks during inside in the church? No, the, all the, the only question of face masks, obviously people that come to mask can wear a face mask and some of them will, no doubt. But um, the, there's, we've been, there's nothing in the document except for face masks when distributing Holy Communion. That's, that's all that's okay. there. Yeah. So, so in that regard, then it would be the default, the public position, so, which is that it's advised if, if, you know, if, yeah, if yeah, possible. Yeah, and, and, and I'm sure many yeah. people will wear them, you know. So, mm. um, the question of toilet facilities... Very important and uh, tricky, and um, so I think what most uh, parishes, I think what they'll be saying will be only in emergency. Obviously, you have to have toilets, at the, mm-hmm. but in emergency, and uh, we've been in relation to that too. We've been advised, you know, to get people. There'll be no choirs singing, um, and we've if the priest says a few words, that he is very brief, and um, and the people wouldn't be long in there because that too is a factor as far as HSE are concerned, you know. So, um, and then the, the, there's details like can the doors be kept open when people are arriving and departing as far as possible so that they won't be touching the door handles and so forth, wherever that can be done, and the minimum contact with doors and door handles and so forth. Having sufficient hand sanitizers inside every entrance, uh, at every entrance and exit, hand sanitizers, and I'm sure most churches have done that. Um, no sharing of missalettes. Um, if there's only one mass in a church uh, at the weekend, they've no problem. The missalettes go in the bin, or people take them home. But like, if there's a few masses in a church in the bigger parishes, the missalettes cannot be reused. They go straight to the bin after each mass. And uh, no question of reusing hymnals. Well, there is no singing, and uh, hymn sheets or uh, anything like that. Um, taking up church collections, we cannot pass around the baskets or collection bags. So what's suggested is that to work out a secure way, and I think what most uh, churches will do is have uh, a basket on a table uh, inside uh, the inside door of each entrance, and um, and people drop in their uh, the thing there. Now, the, a very important point about coming back to mass is that the obligation for Sunday mass is is doesn't apply at the moment. So. Most parishes are relying on a spread of people. In smaller parishes, people may have worked out a ticket system 
in bigger parishes that would be a massive task so um, we're, we're hoping to put on enough masses and to have a spread of people across so people that can go during the week we would be asking them to go during the week so that the people that cannot go during the week might be able to go on, on the Sunday but the reason I bring that up here in relation to the collections is there will be the basket will be inside the door I think in most churches at every mass that's on but that doesn't mean there's a collection at every master. But people they put in their envelope are people that use loose cash. Instead of an envelope on one day of the week, they want to make their offering as they always did. Whatever day they come in, they can, they, they can do that. Now, if the numbers are such in some parishes that some people can go to more than one mass in the week, um, then obviously they're not expected to be putting the money in the basket. It's the only way we can uh, uh, collect that up. So that's uh, in relation to the collections. Um, then have we identified areas and objects in the church which will require frequent cleaning the seats, the ambo, the microphones, shrines, door handles, etc., etc., toilets, if, if they were used, and so forth. Um, has a process been put in place to ensure regular cleaning of these, including after every gathering? The full church has to be sanitized after each Mass. Um, so uh, is there a schedule for and appropriate monitoring of general cleaning and sanitizing of the church, including the the sacrifices. That's the, the, the fairly comprehensive checklist and that will be signed by uh, one of the priests and uh, two parishioners and go back into the uh, diocesan office and they're Father, required to do that in every diocese. Father Frank, there's two things that just, that just strike me there about that last point in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, that the churches, the churches will you know, to need to be cleaned. So I, 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 like, I presume in that sense, you, you know, parishes will be looking for volunteers to help with that type of cleaning? Yeah, they are. I suppose, again, it'll vary. You know, I, I want to keep it general, Shane, because, uh, yeah. you know, different parishes have different regulations. I don't want to confuse mm. people. But yes, if somebody, a volunteer or some, whoever, whether it's a volunteer or somebody the parish gets to do and pays them or whatever, it, it, it has to be done. And uh, I think most parishes will keep a record book of that. And uh, and then, like, the, the coordinators, the people that signed the uh, the document that goes into the bishop, like um, I think, quite a lot of priests will be sent to them that they would keep a check on the on the the sign in book, you know, the book to say that the church was sanitized after the nine fifteen mass or whatever, and, and 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 you know who did it and whatever. So, yeah, it'll vary a good bit, um, uh, Shane, from church to church and from parish to parish. Now things are made to be a little bit more difficult for bigger parishes in Newcastle West now. We're not opening on Monday. The other parishes we're involved with, um, well, Father Nunn is looking after Arda Karikari, but uh, Fiona Castle Mahan and Mona Gay, they are opening on Monday. And if people look up their notes in the Observer today, the details of the Mass times are there. And we put on generous amount of Masses in the hope that we won't end up turning people away. That is the tricky point, that unless you have a ticket system where that's feasible, um, it's it could happen that you you just you cannot let any more in and people may have to come back the following day or whatever you know this we'd be hoping by putting on enough masses that that's that, that the spread you know um but that's there's a bit of a gamble there because you don't know you could get too many one day and not enough another day but in big parishes it's very tricky Left two or three minutes yeah. max that we got left. Um, I think it's very important. What I heard you say, and I think it's very important, that the Sunday, uh, you know, people can go, can go to mass during the week. You don't have to go to mass yeah. on Sunday. And I think you also mentioned that the important thing is to, it, where possible, to allow 
that to be left for those who can't attend Mass during the week. The week yeah. So therefore, somebody like myself, who might be able to go to Mass every day, including Sunday, I should, I should think twice and maybe recognise the fact Yes. That I'm taking somebody else's seat for one of a better word. Yeah, if you're able to go some other day, yeah. yeah. And the last point before you, you yeah, go, yeah. John, is that when Leo Varadkar placed a limit of 50, a maximum of 50 in indoor events, he really uh, threw the cat among the pigeons yeah. for the bigger churches and bigger parishes. But that's been rethought now. We don't, uh, I, I, we, we will know before the weekend. Um, but that's, uh, we, so it, that's a very important question for us in Newcastle West now in places that size. And so that's why we're not opening until Thursday to adjust to the new situation. The ideal for every church would be that they would allow us open provided we observe all the social distancing and all the regulations. And that then depends on the size of the church. That would be the ideal for us. If you raise it to 100, it'll be a help, but it won't solve too much for bigger parishes. Father Frank, can I I just ask another question? Could you have a situation in parishes, depending where maybe people might get to the church and be told that they can't go in because the church is, is full because mm-hmm. of social distancing. Mm-hmm. You could. Okay, so I, yeah, so I suppose just for people to be kind of prepared for that. Yeah, that's and it. Also, and that's a lot of patience and, uh, required there, you know. Yes, yeah. definitely. You know, and I suppose the, the important thing would be to say to people, it's, you know, it's all going to be a time of adjusting and yes. getting used to it and all the rest of it. And that if that's your situation where a steward turns around and says to you, a church is full, that it's not the steward's fault. Oh, absolutely you know, that's, not. No, you know, that's, uh, no. you know, and just for people to have a, you know, a bit of patience and, and just to remember the community spirit that we've had over the last couple yeah, of exactly. months, the last couple of weeks. Absolutely. And just, 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 just to be careful of that, because I know, yeah. I know a lot, I know some people that are volunteering for stewarding, that's one of their worries is that mm. they have to tell their neighbours or their friends that, sorry, the church is full, you can't go in, what reaction they'll have. So just to say to people, have the patience and just to be conscious of it, you know, it's not the steward's fault. Hmm. It's this is how this is the new reality we're dealing with for the moment. Yeah, and, and and some people talk about putting a speaker outside the church, but my understanding from a meeting I was at of the moderators is that it, we are responsible for the social distancing outside the church mm. if if we're relaying it out. So that's a tricky one too. So anyway, but uh, please to be patient. We'll all be wiser after a week. I just want to I just want to advise listeners that that, that uh, I think they probably know at this stage we're recording this midweek, so therefore before the weekend, uh, Mr. Redker could indeed have brought forward further recommendations. So this is as of Wednesday evening, actually last when we're recording this program is the information that Father Franks is speaking about, as we have it. Must go for a second piece of music, but before that, Father Frank, I, I just want to come in just my own little comment here. As far as I'm concerned, you know, and I think most people would realise, there's been a serious effort. To try to, to make sure that people are protected, I was I was delighted when I heard that there's thorough training being given to personnel mm-hmm. from the top to the bottom, mm-hmm. and I think for us as 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 people who attend mass on a daily basis and want to return to mass on a daily basis, I want to thank um, th- thank the bishops for producing such a document, but also it's in all our interests as best we can to try and help to make that a success as possible. In the meantime, we must go for our second piece of music. A beautiful piece of Medjugorje music. I love that one. This one is entitled, Here I Am to Worship. So join us again in part three, where we'll read and reflect on the Word of God.
So welcome back again to the third part of Sacred Space. My name is John Keeley, still joined by Shane Ambrose in the Skype line, and also Father Frank Dewick here in the studio here in our Come and See studio. Now again, thanks Father Frank for, for sharing that information with us there um, about returning to Mass, but this is the most important part of any program we do here in Sacred Space is when we read and reflect on the Word of God. And before that, there's a prayer we always pray before reading and reflecting on Scripture. Father Frank, would you share that with us please this morning? Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this word reverently, humbly, and attentively. May we not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed, nor our minds wander. But may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this, Father, in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms, to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Father Frank. So the Gospel for today is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, and it's chapter 10, verse 37 to 42. And Shane, would you pray that for us this morning, please? Jesus instructed the twelve as follows. Anyone who prefers father or mother to me is not worthy of me. Anyone who prefers son or daughter to me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take his cross and follow in my footsteps is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it, and anyone who loses his life for my sake will find it. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and those who welcome me welcome the one who sent me. Anyone who welcomes a prophet will have a prophet's reward, and anyone who welcomes a holy man will have a holy man's reward. If anyone gives so much as a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is a disciple, then I tell you solemnly, he will most certainly not, most certainly will not lose his reward. Thank you, Shane. That's the Gospel for today, the 13th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Um, Father Frank, share a few thoughts with us, please. Yeah, John, uh, I suppose it's it's a a Gospel with a bit of a strange language in it, in a way, you know, maybe that... Uh, may great our ears in a certain sense. Uh, it's taken, as was last Sunday's Gospel, from what is called the Apostolic Instruction in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus giving the Apostolic Instruction to his, his apostles, his disciples. And he's stressing here the cost of following him and his way. And he's saying that there is a price to be paid if we wish to truly follow Jesus. And, and the love... Uh, that is demanded of us is the love that God alone uh, has a right to. And, yes, and the way he puts that across then was strange about it is who prefers father or mother to me is not worthy of me. He's not playing down the importance of the fourth commandment of respect for parents, nor they see interfering in any way with the natural love of parents for children and children of parents and so forth. But he's saying that nobody is to be preferred to Christ when it comes to the crunch. There is a love which is a higher and greater claim than the family. That's uh, so, as I said, that may sound strange a bit, um, but 
But Jesus himself in his own life, we're all familiar with the story about when he was lost. And when he stayed behind in the temple, he, he wasn't lost at all as far as he was concerned. Um, but did you not know I must be about my father's business? A kind of a chilling message for his parents, you know. Yeah. He was God. That's right. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. 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 Well, yeah. He did. Well, he hit the, the ultimate point. sacrifice. Yeah. 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 And then he goes, uh, the, the goes on, just, just a few points by way of background. He talks about the cross, you know, and um, that, uh, that the following Jesus can take the form of the cross. And there are many people listening to us uh, today that are very, very aware that the following of Jesus can involve the cross. And, uh, there are many, many people that know that very well, better than I do, uh, um, because they have carried it. But I have a little saying about uh, carrying the crosses. Jesus is under every cross. Yeah, no cross that Jesus is not under. Then um, anyone who finds his life will lose it. Strange language again, and those who lose their life will find it. A bit strange to our ears. Um, but so many martyrs, you know, um, have gone through that. Jesus himself and Calvary. Um, and people who opt totally for what this earthly life has to offer may not experience eternal life. You know, that's what he's saying of people who just turn their back on what Jesus has to say. And yeah, then the one then, the next part there, about if we welcome other people, we welcome Jesus. Um and in the first part of the reading, he's talking about people who will not be found worthy of him. And in the second part of the reading, he's talking about who will, those who will be rewarded for their following of him, for their uh, discipleship. Then he introduces the lovely little example. You can go back to this. Uh, we comment on it a bit later about the cup of cold water, the significance that no matter how insignificant a person is or how small their action can have great, great significance in uh, in God's eyes, um, the I don't know whether you know, just maybe just to alert people. I don't know with the time here, like, but the first reading there's often a strong connection between the first reading and the gospel. First reading from the Book of Kings, you know, a, a story of uh, of Elisha the prophet being shown hospitality by a Shunammite woman and her husband, and um, and of course, the second part of our reading there, the one who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me is very much about hospitality as well. So that's something just that people might like. Rather than quickly dismiss these strange Old Testament readings, they're all the Word of God and they all have a point. You often used to tell us, Father Frank, the Alexia Divina, and of course we all miss that of a, of a Monday night, but thanks to you, you do send us out um, some notes that you prepare for a few days and you send us out by email and, and uh, WhatsApp for those of us who are members of that group. But you do ask us to stay with the gospel passage for the week because reading it first off of a Sunday, it's very unlikely we're going to be able to take any message for us just out of that one reading. We're going to have to stay. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, just to you say, to send it out by email in case some of my people who know that, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. that I have known nothing about computers, um, in case anyone thinks that I learned all this during lockdown, I didn't. It's Trish, the parish okay. secretary, sends okay. it out for me. Okay, so um, yeah, it, it's preparation and attention to the to the Word of God. This is not reading from a newspaper or from a good novel. This is the Word of God, the inspired Word of God, and we must listen in carefully. And that's why John, when we have the Lexio Divina group in the group, which we can't have at the moment, um, 
we pick out words and phrases. And you know yourself, John, that, that it often happens. People say, I don't remember seeing that phrase or that word, you know, even you had heard it read a few times. Acute, close listening to the Word of God and staying with what's in front of you, not letting be sidetracked into some other gospel passage, just what's in front of you. Yeah. It's the Word of God. It's not just any other book. You see, the, the, if you ever got the chance to study Scripture, the, the whole thing of the revealed Word of God and the inspired Word of God, it takes ages, it takes a long part of the, the Scripture course to grasp what's going on there, you know, but this is like no other book. I don't care how contrary the reading might be from the Old Testament, God is speaking to us through what's happening there. But, but we need to give it time. Yes, very much, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's I'd, all I'd have to say really about background of it, uh, John, you know, and then I'd always, you know, say to people then, like, is to is to to take the passage now and re- reflect on it. And um, even when I send you out the notes, I'm always reminding you, don't go straight into the possible suggestions I make of ways in which you can connect it with your life. Mm. Just you stay with the passage yourself and see what speaks to you and um, different passages, different phrases will speak to uh, different people. So that's something that anybody preparing before they go to Mass on Sunday or if they're attending a lecture Divina group or any gospel group, um, don't be always looking for the answers in a book. Let the Word speak to you. I came across, which I often use, John, at the meetings, um, a, a, a phrase, we should place our lives under the scrutiny of God's Word. Let God's words scrutinize our lives. Let, let it shine over our lives and see what it says to us. And another way they put it, let it scan our lives. You know, let the passage scan our lives. Because Lexio Divina is all about bringing what happened and what was said 2,000 years ago, making it real and saying this is just as real today. God does not change. The God who speaks in the scripture 2,000 years ago is saying the same thing to us. And that's one thing I think that most of us would have picked up attending the lecture of the over the years with your good self, is that we found out whereas at the beginning we thought this has nothing to do with us, again, this is 2,000 years ago. But the more we listen, the more we hear, and the more we give the Holy Spirit a chance to get through to us, the more maybe that word niggles us. And yes, that's he's trying to get through to me. That's right. And, as, and like one of the first questions there in the early part of the reading is really asking us there about preferring uh, the father or mother. Is, is, is God really number one in my life? And at an intellectual level, we may say, of course he is, but is he really like, is he in the way I live my life, is God number one? Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the, the, the challenging question that, that early, in that gra- graphic language of preferring the father or mother and so forth, the father or mother, that's what he's asking, is God number one in our lives, in the way we live our lives, not in our dreams? Um, Jesus say that and do it, isn't it? Oh, it is, <laughs> and, and very, very much in today's world because um, we're living in a very secular culture and that pushes God into the background or out to the edge or over the edge. Uh, and it has happened in a lot of people's lives. It can happen. That erosion has happened in most people's lives. It might happen more in some people's lives than others, but we look back in our lives, there are ways in which our... You know, the primacy of God has become eroded. Like a simple example would be like, you know, do we bless ourselves passing a church the way we used to 20 years ago? Mm-hmm. 
you know, and uh, do we, you know, genuflect when we went to the church and all. The simple little things. Or have we got conscious about blessing ourselves that there's somebody else in the car with us? Little ways. And then, of course, in more serious ways, God has been pushed aside in, mm. in some people's lives, you know. Yes. But that whole primacy of God in our lives is one of the, certainly one of the things that wants us to reflect this week. Think further is the, the cross. Sir, go ahead, John. No, no, no. I, 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 actually, that, that thing that that thing they said about the cross there. You know, there's no cross that Jesus isn't underneath. Yeah, well, uh, I yeah, I I firmly believe that there's, uh, there's um, and no matter what our story is, and whether we've been very holy or whether we've been yeah, uh, yeah. off uh, off beam a bit, I don't believe there's anybody carrying a cross that Jesus is not carrying with him. That's that's what I lean from the. From the the pages of the gospel, um, he's under every cross. Yeah, beautiful to know that. And I also believe that, and I often say to people that are seriously ill, um, that they, if they've gone through a serious illness and a lot of suffering, I say you are beside Jesus on the cross. What is and, that? and that's not a, yeah. kind yeah. of a pious thought that no. stands up yes. theologically if if you reflect on the gospel. I think these people would would come to realize that too. If I think, thanks for that, Shane. Have you got a thought or two, um, just for the two or three minutes we got before we finish up? Um, how do you follow that? I say. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I suppose as Father Frank said, one of the things about about the about our lexio is that we try to encourage people to stay with the text itself. And it's it's not an easy one this week. I think I think we'd 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 all agree it's 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 a strange it it it, it doesn't sit comfortably on the ear. Um, but for me, I suppose there was there was two things I think that 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 stood out in it uh, that were kind of you know dialoguing with me during the week. The first one was that anyone who finds his life will lose it, and anyone who loses his life for my sake will find it. And that anyone who loses his life for my sake will find it one was really, it was really going round and round in my head. There was a couple of things on it. The first one was the one that Father Frank talked about, which was, um, I suppose, the tradition of the martyrs. Um, you know, because by embracing their martyrdom, they have, they have really found their love of God and the love of Christ. And I was thinking, well, we've, we've different types of martyrs, I suppose, um, the church's official ones, which are, you know, who, who have died for the faith. But looking across at the COVID experience that we have had mm-hmm. and people who have worked and contributed to the common good, you know, a term that's not really liked mm-hmm. so much anymore. You know, people like in, in like our frontline, as we call them, you know, the, the nurses, the doctors, but the cleaners, the porters, the people that stock the shelves and all of that. And it's a case of like, that's an outpouring of your life in, you know, in, in one sense, because it's, it's, it's a giving for the common good. But also out of that, I suppose, is the people's recognition of the value of, 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 of those types of jobs. They don't have to be the flashy jobs, but they're the ones that keep society going. But also, I suppose for me, it was that encounter of recognizing the person that's doing those simple tasks, mm-hmm. because we're all made in the image and likeness of God. And sometimes we forget that um, because a person is judged by what they do or who they are or where they are in terms of socioeconomic uh, things. But COVID has almost turned that on its head that we, you know, because you know, those of us that have jobs that are office jobs, well, we've all been locked up in our houses for three months, yes, you know. 
you know so for me that was it was it, I, I i'm still still dialoguing with that still thinking about that one but it was just it was just a couple of thoughts that just trying to get my head around anyone who loses his life for my sake will find it I think that, you that the, 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 the frontline workers there like we say you, you, you explained very well I will they will lose their life you know what I mean they put things on the line and uh, and uh, but where they will find it is that Christ is saying you more certainly I have not missed that I have there will be a reward for that I have not missed that they will find true life um, because, they, because they have done this. You know, they, they will be rewarded and ultimately with uh, eternal life. A little thought that struck me there uh, is, um, do you know, the, the cup of cold water is an utterly mm. simple thing. But, like, um, but it's saying to us that Jesus is in very often in strange places and in strange people that he's and he's and I, I read a thing during the week I put it in my notes to the people for the lexio that he was referred to as one writer as the master of disguise now during the week we celebrated the feast of John the Baptist and that uh, John the Baptist uh, mother was in her prob- possibly her mid 80s when he was born, that's not what they would have been expecting uh, uh, the, the precursor to come. Mm-hmm. And, and Jesus, when he came, he came from, uh, his mother was a maybe 14, 15 year old virgin girl. You know, I mean, neither of them would have been seen as the people likely to produce the savior. And uh, he, he, the master of disguise is the phrase used. He, he turns up in all kinds of people, in all kinds of places, even when you give a simple thing like a cup of cold water to somebody that's thirsting. Thanks for that, Dr. Frank. Um, Shane, I've got one last one. We're right up against it. No, uh, that's, that's, that's it for today, John. Listen, thanks a lot. Father Frank, thanks a lot. And Shane, thank you, thank you both for your thoughts there now, for something for us to take away with the week for the week. Um, again, uh, a beautiful program. We thank Father Frank again for coming in, taking time out to share with us this morning. Uh, we now go for our final piece of music. And this one is by John Michael Talbot, my friend, and this one is entitled, might be appropriately, think about the words, Lilies of the Field. So it's next week from Father Frank, from Shane and myself. God bless you all now. Bye. Bye.
Right. 